And welcome to the Greg Merriweather Show. I'm your host, Greg Merriweather. And welcome to the Greg Merriweather Show. Today, we are going to, of course, discuss the week in black. We're going to talk about a lot of things that are going on around the country. And then we are going to talk about our main topic. And that will be the race card and white privilege. How do they work? Are they working against each other? Do they work together? It's something to think about. So get yourself up. Get yourself started. Turn me up. It's time to get it started. It's the Greg Merriweather Show. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Greg Merriweather Show. I'm your host, Greg Merriweather. And so, yeah, it's... um. It's it's time to get things started. Of course, we always talk about the week in black. There are so many things going on around the country that I feel need to be discussed. Um, you know, constantly seeing news. And, you know, one of the things that I must say about when we do the week in black is that there are not a lot of things that surprise me. I, I guess when I look at this thing and and realize that we are going through a cycle and it's a continuous cycle. It's a cycle of the past. It's a lot of things that we've experienced at some time in our lives as black people that we are still experiencing. Um, it makes me question um, us in a lot of ways because I'm like, what are we doing to make change, true change take place? And so when I do the week in black, you know, I, I try to really enlighten us with, with what's going on around the world, but also, you know, look at it and say, okay, is it, you know, what are we going to do to bring about some change? Uh, with these things. So anyway, uh, one of the top stories that, that I found interesting um, came via Huff Post Black Voices, and it was a, a, based on Viola Davis. And in this story, Viola Davis says that she wishes she had never been in the help. Um, the actress says she regrets taking the role as uh, Abilene in the 2011 film that earned her an Oscar nomination. And I know that this may come to a surprise as many, but we'll, we'll see what she's talking about. It says, Viola Davis regrets taking the role of Abilene in the 2011 film, The Help. Quote, I have passed on a lot of roles. There have been one or two that I regretted for maybe a minute, and then I let it go. Almost a better question is, have I ever done roles that I've regretted? The Widows, actress told the New York Times in an interview published Tuesday, Davis, who earned an Oscar nomination for best actress for the role, said that looking back, she wishes she had passed on the opportunity. I have regretted roles and the help is on that list, but not in terms of the experience and the people involved because they were all great. She said the friendships that I formed are ones that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. I have a great experience. I've had a great experience with these and other actresses who are extraordinary human beings. And I could not ask for a better collaborator than director Tate Taylor. I just felt that at the end of the day, that it wasn't the voices of the maids that were heard. I know Abilene. I know many. They're my grandma. They're my mom. Davis continued. And I know that if you do a movie, where the whole premise is, I want to know what it feels like to work for white people and bring up children in 1963. 
I want to hear how you really feel about it. I never heard that in the course of the movie. Although the film was critically acclaimed, it was also criticized and downplaying the violence and the ugliness of Jim Crow era racism. As feminist writer Roxane Gay explained in a 2012 essay, the help is emotionally manipulative, taking every opportunity to cut the viewer's heart wide open with painfully depicted scenes of racial segregation and the petty humiliations African-Americans faced during that era. Ava DuVernay, the director of Selma and 13th, agrees with Davis's criticism in a tweet on Wednesday. Much respect to all involved. With that said, I understand Viola on this. Hope others do too, she wrote. The Help was the last film I worked on as a publicist. I quit PR. That film pushed me to make my own for the reasons Viola states. I'm grateful for that push. This is not the first time Davis has spoken up about the film. At a British Academy of Film and Television Arts events last year, she criticized the movie for not being historically accurate. I absolutely love the premise, Davis said. I love the fact that Emma Stone's character said, I'm going to write a story from the maid's perspective of what it feels like to work with these white women. Operative term meaning the maid's perspective. I don't feel like it was from our perspective. That's the problem I had with it. I had it from the very beginning. And so when I look at this and, you know, people look at, at Hollywood actors and actresses and they're almost like they're, they're, they're just excited about seeing, you know, and, and I, I commend her for being honest because we look at this is, this is just so amazing to me because, you know, I take a lot of heat for being that critical. And I love the fact that she's, this is not just entertainment. As much as we want to look at TV and listen to radio and watch movies and all those types of things, I love the fact that someone has said, this is not entertainment. This is not just entertainment. It's entertainment, but it's not just entertainment. This is us. And when you don't take into consideration the pain, when you don't take into consideration the struggle and overall, when you don't take into consideration the truth, I think it does an injustice to our people when we watch things and, you know, for lack of better terms, when we watch power, when we watch snowfall, when we watch these shows and all of a sudden we're so into them that we don't talk the realness of it. Anybody that knows, I'll tell you, yes, I watch power. But when I watch power, I'm watching power from a perspective of saying, what in the world is this street life that this thing is making look so glamorous? From a hustler's perspective, it's like, let me tell you something. It's going to be some days where they wear the same clothes. Everybody ain't getting up feeling all fresh every single day. That's just not real. It's going to be some tired days. It's going to be some days where you don't feel like it. It's going to be some days where some people didn't do something. It's going to be some, a whole lot of people jerking you around on your money. It's going to be the fear of the police every single day. It's going to be way more death and murder than you can only imagine. It's going to be some good product and some bad product. It's going to be some women mad. It's going to be a whole. It ain't going to just be Tasha. And it definitely ain't going to be the police. So the police ain't going to be your woman. So it's all these little things that we sit and watch every single day and we're oohing and on about it, but is it the truth? 
And as I ooh and ah, what am I doing to the minds, to not only my mind, but to the minds of our youth? Because I'm not giving you the truth. So I love the fact that Viola Davis is saying the truth matters in film. And one of the other things we have to realize about film is that in an industry where our stories were never been, never told, why would we want anything less than the truth now that we have the ability to tell it? I mean, think about this. You're talking about a Charlton Heston Moses who went from being the prince of Egypt to being a, 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 a shepherd. But all of a sudden you look and he walks through the entire desert. He leaves, he's put out of Egypt. He walks the entire desert and he still comes out white. Or let's go, let's go into Liz Taylor who played Cleopatra. And all of a sudden we, we sit there and it's a great movie. Yes, it is. But is it true? No. And I think that there has to be some, at some point in our lives, I think black people have to be willing to deal with the truth, willing to tell it, willing to show it, willing to say, this is what it is and stop being so sensitive to certain people's feelings. Because if your feelings are hurt because of the truth, then so be it. I guess that's what gets me in trouble is that if your feelings are hurt because of the truth then so be it, so what? And that's all. So Viola Davis, I thank you. I think it is commendable. I think Ava came through and supported it because for Ava to say, I quit PR because of that film. I don't want to be attached to falseness. And it pushed her. Let's be real. It pushed Ava into being a great director. Her life has changed totally. She's making great films, but she's depicting some stuff that's so true. 13th was real. And it put her on the map because she made a documentary that says, here's a system that is really working well that, that some want to call broken, but it's not. So shout out to you. Viola, keep pushing. I think it is commendable again to be someone who makes the decision of saying the truth matters no matter what. So good looking sister. In other news, um, I, I thought this was great. This is my guy, Michael Harriet, um, always putting out some great content for me to read because the brother just, you know, says it. And for some ungodly reason, someone has given him an avenue or a platform to be able to say the stuff that he says um, unapologetically. And so this was an, an, an write-up that I found uh, through The Root and under Race Matters, Michael Harriet. And um, this was an interesting title. He said, employees, racial slurs, video of white student declaring her love for N-word causes uproar at Alabama high school. It says, if you ask any teenager from 1978, 1998, or 2018, they will eagerly, eagerly explain how racism is dying because their generation generally doesn't care about race that much. Now, I know this for a fact because I deal with children every single day. And you can't, and, and let me just rewind. 
in the state in which I live, in the city in which I reside, Indianapolis, Indiana, most black people will fight you about racism because they believe that it doesn't exist or that you're too serious about it or whatever. Let's keep moving. It says, trust them. The youth will show us the way or maybe not. Two separate videos obtained by the root showing an obviously intelligent white teenager yelling the N word as if it were a vocal exercise or a teeth whitening experiment has made the rounds at an Alabama high school, causing concern among parents and students who were apparently unaware that they lived in Alabama. God, I love the word nigger. It's a freaking great word, screams the student in the video. Sources told The Root that the videos were originally posted in a private group chat, but eventually found their way onto social media before they were removed. A second video shows the student responding to the backlash by expounding with her extremely poignant, poignant wit and intelligence. She says, all you effing niggas in that group chat that got butt hurt by that, go F yourself because it's the 21st century. You can sit there and call me a cracker. Congratulations, I'm white. You're black. Good observation, okay? You're effing retarded. No one cares that you're black, okay? All these black people sitting there talking about, oh my God, everyone is going to sit there and shoot me because no one gives a freaking damn that you are black, okay? I rest my case. Now that's what she said. The star of the video is a student at Spain Park High School in the Birmingham suburb of Hoover, Alabama. You may remember some of Birmingham's, you know, uh, from their 1960s hit like jailing Martin Luther King Jr., turning fire hoses and police dogs on children or blasting the 16th Street Baptist Church with dynamite. Well, Birmingham was an affluent, mostly white city back then. Now it's nearly three quarters black. Birmingham's affluent whites now live in Hoover, which is nearly 70% white and boasts a median household income that is more than twice that of Birmingham's. So when this video surfaced of a student using racial slurs, the school system leaped into action. Nah, I'm just kidding. We don't embrace any conversations that are unfair, unkind, demeaning, derogatory, and racist in nature, Hoover City School Superintendent Dr. Kathy Murphy told WBRC before noting that the video wasn't made on campus during school hours. This does not make it more palatable to us that a student would be on such a rant, but it didn't happen at the school or on our devices. However, the district announced that it had just hired a director of equity and educational, educational initiatives to address problems like this, which is an admirable response considering how fast they acted. But it was not a response to this incident. In a separate email, a Spain Park parent alerted the route to an earlier incident involving race at Spain Park High School, where an employee of the school allegedly said of black players during a football game that their kind doesn't belong on the field. The remark was made to a group of parents, according to WBRC, and two parents who spoke to the root separately. The root has also obtained an email 
from one of the concerned parents written to other Spain Park parents only hours after the alleged incident of racism occurred at the football game. I was going to wait until tomorrow to share this, but I have the presence of mind to send this email to everyone tonight. Dear fellow JAG parents, it is rather disturbing to think that after being silent for four years of watching a video for mom's night out, that an incident such as tonight would never occur. In hindsight, it is a true reflection of the shared thoughts among many of the coaches and others. That video doesn't show representation of not one coach of color. Out of all the players, there is not one NFL player represented, even though 80% of the league is African-American. What togetherness or diversity is shown or represented for the players and parents that work so tirelessly to support all of the athletes day in and day out. Hearing someone respond to another person with the phrase, your kind, resonates in anger and hatred directly sorely at someone who is a person of color. I don't expect any parent to understand how that statement is offensive because no one who is not a person of color could ever imagine that constant ridicule and blatant disrespect just because of your skin color. Tonight has been a revelation that uncovers a divide deeper than wins and losses. It's a divide that is clear and very unsettling. To not address this word or to not address this would be a travesty of justice. I will not and cannot in good faith align myself with an organization that does not represent respect and honor for all people. Sincerely, a human being. And so when I look at this, and I know that racism, you know, uh, Brother Michael Harriet states this at the end. He says, you know, so if you're wondering where racism comes from and how it's passed down from generation to generation, look no further than the good folks of Hoover, Alabama. Okay, I rest my case. And I just think that when we try to look at racism and try to, you know, especially here in, in, in a city like Indiana or a city like Indianapolis, when we look at racism, it is I've always said this. I said Indianapolis folk really, you know, try to overlook racism because it's it's hidden so well. And when you have people who see it, it's like you beat up on them as opposed to taking the blinders off and looking to say, does it really exist? And And there are not a lot of gray areas in Indiana for racism. I think it's blatant. I just think that they do such a good job of making you feel like you're okay that you just ignore it. So when I look and I say, go downtown Indianapolis and sit down, look around, where do you see us? And where you see us is going in and out of the city county building for real or on a bus stop somewhere. But do you, when you look and you see people going into certain buildings, you know, when you look at the Salesforce Tower, how many black people do you see running in and out of there? When you look at certain businesses, how many black people do you see running in and out of there? You just don't. And so there's, there are some obvious facts that are truly in front of us that we choose to ignore for the simple fact that we just don't want it. We don't want to have that fight. And, and, you know, it's funny that, that I, I want to bring this up, but I was just watching a video this morning about uh, Lord Jamar. 
And for those of you who don't know who Lord Jamari is, he was part of Dead Pre Well, yeah, Dead Prez uh, was a group he was, you know, brought out. Um, but um, Diggable Planets, was it Diggable Planets? One of those groups he was with, okay? And Lord Jamar's an old school hip hop guy. And he was talking about Eminem dissing him on a track. And he brought up the lyrics. And, and, and I remember seeing him on the whitewashing of the black race. And in this documentary, the whitewashing of the black race, he said, you know, anyone who is not black is a visitor to the house of hip hop. And basically he was like, you know, the industry wants to whitewash hip hop. So therefore they give you the Macklemore's, they give you the Eminem's, they give you the machine gun Kelly's so on and so forth. Now in Indianapolis, Black people will call Eminem the GOAT. Anywhere else, black people say that's our culture. Now, I've, I've had that argument day in and day out. But I love the fact that Lord Jamar watched this video yesterday. And he broke in and brought his lyrics. And when he brought his lyrics, he said, I don't like when people rhyme for just the sake of rhyming when there's no content and you're just rhyming. And then he brought in, when, when he started reading the lyrics, he said, Eminem said something basically like, uh, basically, I will Elvis you in a sense. And when he brought it down, when he broke it down and he said, and it made me immediately think about Chuck D when he said Elvis was a hero the most, but he never meant to me straight up racist. The sucker was simple and plain. And so when Eminem referred to himself as being the Elvis and coming inside the house of hip hop, that let me know something about him because to us, Elvis is the thief of rock and roll. He took our style and then got crowned the king. And Eminem blatantly said this on record, that I, I am the Elvis of hip hop. I have come in with my whiteness and I have taken it and they are giving me the crown. Now in this city, he's the king. Because we are this, we're the type of people who say, okay, yeah, he's, he's better, but we're listening to something different. I'm listening to what moves my people. Not the beat, but the words. Can I relate? Do you touch my spirit with this? Does this enlighten me? Does this bring something to the table of hip hop, which I know was to teach my people? And so then he said something else. He said, basically, I'll come into the house of hip hop and I'll tell you to fetch the remote. And as they broke it down and Lord Jamar said for you to even have the nerve to tell a black man to fetch anything has a negative racist connotation behind it. And it let me know where you stand. And I agree with that. But here's the thing. When you're not paying attention, when you want to be loved so much by some people, when you want some people to accept you so much, you put blinders on and omit what's right in front of your face. Nobody can look at these parents and say, you're not racist. But what makes me so sad is there is so much racism that goes on without words. When you look and see the black people in housing, housing looks like it did. Housing looks worse than it did in the 60s. And all of a sudden we're like, as long as they're not saying the N word, 
then they're not racist. No, racism is so economic now. And Martin Luther King found that out. Racism is economic now. Racism is like, I'm not going to, you're not going to get on my level. You could be all up in the company. You could be valuable to the company. But the minute you try to step up to the next level, the minute you're trying to equalize my pay, that's the minute when the racism kicks in. Because it's like, you're not on my level. You're not on my level even if you're beyond my level. You're not on my level because you do not have the complexion for protection and collection. So, therefore, that's the problem. So, I think we need to take the blinders off at some point. It's Listen, I'm going to be real on this. It's not a bad world to have the truth. Let's just say that again. It's not a bad world to just have the truth. The truth makes it a good world. Even if the truth is you hate me, that makes it a good world because I at least know where I stand. And I think that's where we need to be because I think that that's when you can grow. You cannot grow where there's no, the ground tells the truth. The earth has a way of telling the truth. This cannot grow in this ground. And as long as we want a lying ground, the only thing that would be good for us is for, for us to be buried in it. But there will, there will not be any growth. There's a difference between being buried and being planted. Just my take. So anywho, we're going to take us a really quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue. We're going to finish out the weekend black. It's your man, Greg Merriweather. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Greg Merriweather Show. It's me, Greg Merriweather. So, yes, man, the week in black, we've got it started off pretty tough. And, um, you know, I just think that, again, when I do this, it's, it is truly a matter of uh, bettering ourselves because it is. It's, it's truly time to get better. It's truly time to get better. And so this, um, this, this article it's challenging for me. Um, it's, it's from the New York times. It's a, it's a pretty devastating article. And, and, and as I look at it, I am, um, I'm, I'm, I'm challenged. I'm truly challenged by it. And so this is uh, an article by, um, Manny Fernandez, um, Manny Fernandez and Maria Trahan Martinez. And uh, it says a Dallas police officer shot her neighbor and the city is full of questions. And of course, for any of those who've not been keeping up about the Botham Shem Jean murder, uh, this will pretty much bring you up to snuff. Uh, it says Dallas, Botham Shem John analyzed risk for a living at a global auditing firm. For someone in his line of work, the evening was shaping up to be as risk-free as it gets. 
alone in his one-bedroom apartment one block from the Dallas Police Department headquarters. Fresh from work, he had texted his sister his evening plans. Watching a football game on TV, the Eagles versus the Falcons, he texted a friend apologizing for not going out with her the weekend before. Mr. John, 26, was from the island nation of St. Lucia. He had a big smile and was a big eater. Winning a meat lovers contest at Big Chef Steakhouse back in the Caribbean. He still had his ticket for a free meal on his next visit. His prize after eating a two pound steak in one sitting. Until 1478 on the fourth floor of the Southside Flat Apartment Complex was an 800 square foot bachelor pad dishes piled up in the sink with pancake syrup dish soap and other belongings added to the clutter on the kitchen island. It was the evening of September 6th. His 26th birthday was three weeks away. In a matter of hours, Mr. Jean would be dead. A white, white off-duty police officer who lived in Unit 1378, directly below Mr. Jean, claimed that she mistakenly entered the wrong apartment after returning home from her 14-hour shift and believed Mr. Jean, who is black, was an intruder. Officer Amber R. Geiger, 30, fired her service weapon twice, striking him once in the torso. He was later pronounced dead at a hospital, his death now the center of a mystery that has angered and puzzled much of the Dallas region. The racial profiling of black men and women by white police officers put new phrases into the American vocabulary, driving while black, walking while black, shopping while black. The shooting of Mr. Jean seemed to demand its own, even more disturbing version, being at home while black. The fatal shooting has become the latest and most bizarre confrontation between an unarmed black man and a white officer, angering many who say they simply do not believe the officer's account. In a city with a decades-old history of racial divisions, the case has again heightened tensions. Protesters chanted and disrupted a city council meeting on Wednesday, and threats against the police have poured in. Officers have said they believe Officer Geiger's version of events, while many in the black community and many white residents as well do not. City officials and other leaders have been caught in the middle. This is the worst sort of situation because we all expect to be safe in our own homes, Michael S. Rawlings, the mayor of Dallas, said in an interview. Everybody is heartbroken. Everybody wants the same thing. Let's get the answers. This is what the mother said to me. I was sitting there talking to her Saturday morning and she said, I'm not angry, but I just want to know why this lady shot my son. Officer Geiger has been charged with manslaughter and released on a $300,000 bond and numerous questions remain unanswered as the investigation continues. Mr. John's relatives and his lawyer said Mr. John and the officer did not know each other. It's not known whether there might have been a dispute between them as neighbors. Indeed, much about what happened that night at the door of Mr. John's apartment remains either unclear or in dispute. The officer told investigators the door was slightly ajar and then fully opened when she inserted her computerized chip key. 
Lawyers for Mr. John's family said the door was closed. Officer Geiger said in the court documents that when she opened the door, the apartment was dark and she saw a silhouette of someone she thought was a burglar. She said she shouted commands that were ignored. Neighbors, however, have told lawyers for Mr. John's relatives that they heard someone banging on the door and shouting, let me in and open up before gunshots rang out. They said they heard a man, presumably Mr. John, say, oh, my God, why did you do that? Accounts of banging and shouting are puzzling because Officer Geiger is single and lived alone. And it was unknown why she would have banged on the door if she believed she was at her own apartment. In some ways, the drama unfolding in Dallas looks and feels similar to other high-profile police shootings of unarmed black men that have gripped the country in succession in recent years. Mr. John's family is represented by Benjamin Crump, the lawyer who represented the relatives of Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown, as well as S. Lee Merritt, a lawyer for the family of Jordan Edwards, the 15-year-old freshman shot and killed by a white officer last year in Dallas, in a Dallas suburb. In an echo of past police killings, there has been anger over what seemed to be attempts to incriminate the victim. Police released a search warrant that revealed that 10.4 grams of marijuana and multiple baggies had been found in Mr. John's apartment. First, they assassinate his person. Then they assassinate his character, Mr. Crump said. Hours earlier that evening, managers at the apartment complex had received complaints from residents that there was a strong smell of marijuana in the fourth floor hallways. Managers knocked on Mr. John's door and at least five other doors inquiring about the smell. The John family lawyer said it was unclear who on the floor was responsible for the odor. Mr. John's relatives, lawyers and supporters all say it would have been difficult for the officer to have mistaken Mr. John's door. It had a large, bright red, semicircular doormat lying on a bare concrete floor. Officer Geiger had none. Would she not have noticed? My main concern is that she is lying, said Mr. Merritt, one of the John family lawyers. But Officer Geiger, Officer Geiger supporters say she had her hands full at the time she arrived at Mr. John's door. Officials say she had uh, hands full at the time she arrived at Mr. John's door. Officials say uh, she had with her uh, a police vest, duty bag, and lunchbox, items she might be expected to carry to her own front door, not someone else's. While relations between the police and black residents are strained, the case is playing out in one of the most diverse law enforcement settings in the country. Dallas appears to be the only major city and county in the country where the police chief, the sheriff, and the district attorney are all black women. Chief U. Renee Hall, Sheriff Marion Brown, and District Attorney Faith Johnson. Chief Hall was applauded by many for turning the investigation over to the Texas Rangers to ensure an independent inquiry, and both Chief Hall and Ms. Johnson attended the funeral of Mr. John on Thursday, as did several other officials. But the diversity in the ranks of law enforcement has not quelled the anger over the shooting and over the police department's handling of it. Black activists, religious leaders, and elected officials have all criticized the authorities for charging the officer not with murder, but with the lesser charge of manslaughter. They also want to know why she was not immediately arrested at the scene, but was allowed to go free until she was officially charged three days later. 
They are demanding that the officer, that officer Geiger, who remains on paid administration, paid administrative leave, be fired. <laughs> yes, this is tough. The reasonableness of her explanation is what's called into question, said State Senator Royce West, a Democrat who is African-American and whose district includes the Southside Flats. The question is whether or not she saw a black man then decided to shoot, regardless of whether or not he was in the right place or not. Her first impulse appeared to be that she was going to fire her weapon. True. So listen, I, I'm not going to read the rest of this, but I, I just want you to understand something. So as I look at this, I am devastated because what always happens is we have to demean him. We have to make him a criminal. We have to make his name look bad in order to justify killing him. And this is what upsets me when the stretch comes into play. Because here's a black man, an employee black man, a black man who has obviously made his way, who's not from here. And all of a sudden, you know, he's here and he's working and he's doing this thing. And he's at home. He's at home. He's not out in the club. He ain't on the block. He ain't, he, I mean, he's at the crib. And all of a sudden, it's like, here's the cognitive dissonance thing again. Now, I have witnesses saying that you're banging on the door. Then I have the contradiction of saying your hands was full. But all of a sudden, it's like, we, we again, somebody takes some story and say, well, I'm going to roll with the hands being full. As opposed to the people that say, people, somebody was banging on the door. And then you heard the brother say, why would you do this? And so, this, this does not just happen when it's murder. This happens in your jobs. This happens when you're pulled over. This happens when you're in the store. It's the, these in, incriminating types of behaviors that speak to where you are, that, that speak to why you should not be. How many times in your job do you know it's the truth and you said that's not how it happened, but being that there are not enough of you there and then the other people who did see you go through it are afraid to witness for the truth. And don't stand up because they're like, I got to eat and are willing to watch you die. So, so there's a societal blame for this ongoing thing that happens with our people, whether it be in career, whether it be in murder, we don't talk about who killed who we don't talk about nothing. So all of a sudden, it's like, they're like, listen, here's what's going to happen. They're going to be outraged. They're going to march. They're going to shout. They're going to scream. But when it's all said and done, we're going to make this decision, and they're going to go back to living like, like it never happened. People don't realize that even in that business, there's a timeline. There's a timeline to forgetfulness, and they know it. They say, give them 30 days. Give them 30 days. Give them 30 days and hopefully a holiday falls in the midst of it. 
Because if a holiday falls in the midst of them 30 days and we done got liquored up and, and partied up and all this kind of stuff, we like, Psh, nobody thinking about that. Because by the time they get their story together, we're so far behind that there is nothing that we could do to change the narrative. Let's just be real. I remember doing the whole Aaron Bailey thing. I put out a post that said, pretty much, I, I, I created a meme that basically said, don't forget about me. I remember that. I put out a meme, it was like, don't forget about me. It was his picture. Because I knew, I saw, I saw the decline. And then, here's what's so crazy. All of a sudden, you know, when these types of things happen, there are a lot of people who want to be superstars in the, in, in the midst of tragedy. So all of a sudden, when, when once, once everything starts caving down and they find out that I'm not going to be a superstar, by the time the verdict came out, there was no outrage. It was quiet outrage. Because at that point, you had done everything that you could possibly do for yourself and not for the cause. So when we look at these cases and they come up, it's like these cases need to be fought before these cases happen. If we take it upon ourselves to begin to fight for equality, then you fight for equality in your job. You fight for equality in your store. You fight for equality in your church. You fight for equality wherever you live every single day for the simple fact that when it comes down to it, they'll know them people about being equal. So you don't just pull your gun out on me because you don't pull your gun out on them. You don't go get the you don't get to go to another person's house and say I made a mistake. That should come that her policing should come into question. It ain't the shift because if they if which I believe Crump will do, how many times have you worked long hours? Are you telling me that you are able to walk out on the street and identify a criminal when you can't even identify your own home? How many times did you realize you didn't have a rug in front of your house? How many times did you realize that you had to you went up a whole nother flight of steps? And then you could not you you, you couldn't just get in. So that takes me to the thing of saying, who's doing the training? Because you're not just going to only sue the police force, you sue everything. For the simple fact that that tells me that someone is an incompetent police officer because she can't even describe which floor she lives on, which door she walks in. So what was you doing on the streets anyway? So when we look at this and how they try to make us criminals after doing something wrong, after they do something wrong, and that's why our topic today is white privilege and the black card. How do they go? How does it work? Because some people say, don't play the race card. But how can you not play it when you know white privilege exists? So we're going to talk about that. But I, I just, I am very disappointed. I'm upset because I know that there's another brother laying dead who's being buried, a family who has lost someone because an officer chose to take his life. And when it's all said and done, it's like we can't keep
standing on the sidelines as this continues to happen and think it's going to get better just for the sake of getting better. It's not going to happen. Just saying. So let us take a really quick break. When we come back, we'll be we're going to talk about it. White privilege and the race card. It's your man, Greg Merriweather. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back to that same old place that you laughed about. Well, the names have all changed since you hung around. But those dreams have remained and they've turned around. Who'd have thought they'd lead And welcome back to the Greg Merriweather Show. I'm your host, Greg Merriweather. And uh, we're going to be talking about white privilege, white privilege, the race card. Um, and those are two, you know, as different as they are. It's it's like they go together, in my opinion, uh, because, you know, there are so many people who are like, you're playing the race card. Don't play the race card. If you can see my T-shirt, it's all about the race card. And uh, I just think that we live in a world where addressing being black is necessary. It's not our fault, you know? And I don't think playing the race card makes is, is just making an excuse. Not when, I think that you could make an excuse when you're playing it. There are some people who will say, is it because I'm black? But have not done the thing to exude excellence in any form. So I don't, I don't agree with it from that perspective. But I do think that if you're doing what's necessary and you are being mistreated, then I think that that's a little different. That's a little different. So I'm going to play this clip. And this is, uh, I think this is Candace, Candace Owen. Now, anybody that knows Candace knows that she plays, she's on the whole other side, and she's going to talk about the race card. So let's listen. You've heard about the black card, right? No, not the one from Visa or American Express. This one is much more valuable. There are entire organizations that have been built upon it and individuals that have used it to acquire both wealth and influence. If this sounds like something you might wish to own, you should know that there is only one way you can get your hands on it. You have to be born with black skin. That's the only requirement, really. You can be poor, middle class, rich, it doesn't matter. The black card will still confer upon you an entire history of oppression, even if you've never been oppressed. Flash the black card and most white people will cower. Play the black card expertly and you can win awards, make millions, all the while claiming that the people who got you there somehow hate you. With a black card, you can sell books full of indecipherable prose, because with a card that powerful, who cares if your words make any sense? You can call yourself a civil rights leader and shake down multinational corporations, or you can torch your own neighborhood 
because you didn't like the outcome of a grand jury verdict. Ironically, the people you might think have the most legitimate claim to the black card refuse to use it. Take my grandfather, for instance. He raised me from the time I was nine years old. Born in 1941 in rural North Carolina, he started working at age five, laying out tobacco to dry on a sharecropping farm. Jim Crow, separate drinking fountains, and the KKK were ever-present realities. He was 17 when he married my grandmother. He made a living cleaning homes and office buildings until he saved up enough money to open his own cleaning business. The thing is, he never played any card. Nor did my grandmother. If they had problems, they didn't blame anybody. They just fixed them. And they raised me to do the same. Chores were a requirement in their household. So was reading the Bible every morning before school. I didn't like the Bible readings and I hated the chores. But I realize now that these small acts of discipline, although sometimes stifling, had a strong, positive impact on my character. I was a first-generation college student. This was supposed to be the ticket to prosperity, but it wasn't. I left college with a mountain of debt and no practical skills. I had just $80 in my bank account and very few prospects. I could have given up. I could have dug deep into my history and declared myself a natural product of ancestral oppression. I could have played the black card and absolved myself of all responsibility for my own stupid decisions. Except I didn't. Because it would have destroyed my grandfather's legacy. I am proud that he had the fortitude to turn nothing into something and I have no intention of reversing that something back into a nothing. My attitude comes with a price, however. Because if you are born black and you don't accept your natural status as a victim, then the validity of your blackness is immediately called into question. Well, so be it. If believing in myself, if accepting the responsibility for my failures somehow disqualifies me from owning an imaginary card, then let me be the first to declare that I don't want one. I also don't want Cornell West, Al Sharpton, or insert anyone else who uses their skin color to game the system as a role model. I already have my grandfather. If there is one thing that my family history has taught me, it's that I do not need a black card or an imaginary anything to make something of myself. For the record, my grandfather, now retired, lives in a home that he and my grandmother built on a plot of land they purchased in North Carolina the very same sharecropping farm that he worked on as a small child. His story is unique. His story is beautiful because it's American. And that's the only card I've ever been interested in playing. I'm Candace Owens for Prayer University. That was Candace Owens. Now, anybody that knows who Candace is, Candace is diehard Republican. Okay, let's just be real. She 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 loves President Trump. Now, when I listen to what Candace said, I think that Candace has a message that is very uh, blended. I think there are some good points, and then I think there are some horrific points. 
Let's start with the good points. I love that. The, I love the fact that her grandparents worked hard. I love the fact that her grandfather made a way and purchased the land and that his people that he worked on. I think that that's phenomenal. I do agree with the whole thing of utilizing the pain of your people to to prosper. I think that that's another great point that she made. Here is where we differ. Is let me go back to her grandfather. You didn't play a race card when the race when 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 it was clear. So there was never a reason to talk about the race card. There was never a defense per se to say you're doing this because I'm black because it was so obvious that one did not have to speak on it. You knew you couldn't go here. You knew that if it got dark that you shouldn't be out in here. You knew you couldn't eat here, you couldn't drink here, couldn't swim here, couldn't talk here, couldn't do nothing here, couldn't sleep here. So therefore, it was a law. So it kind of negates the fact that I would ever have to bring it up. It's those isolated incidents that we look at now where we come into places and we are not. I go into a restaurant and all of a sudden I'm sitting there for 25 minutes and no one has come to say a word to me. Because they're looking and like, what are you doing here? Or when I go to a car lot and I'm overcharged. Or when I look at my my home and I get a predatory loan. And all those things that I have to bring up because it's like, okay, now I know that we're supposed to be in this land that you call America, this place of, uh, you know, the, the land of the free, the home of the brave, the place of equality and all these things. But under the surface, all this stuff is still going on. So I have to disagree with her from that perspective. And so when I look at white privilege, Especially like in this case that we just discussed, how a white officer, female, can say I was on the wrong floor, I was at the wrong door, I pulled my gun out, I killed someone. And they say, that's not murder. That's manslaughter. But I'm going to remove all your levels of training. I'm going to dispose of those. But then on the flip side, I'm going to utilize the system to criminalize him. Because now I need to find a story that discredits him enough to justify you killing him. So therefore I say, They've had complaints about weed. He had baggies. He had some some weed in the place, blah, 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 blah. Maybe she was addressing the weed. Maybe. And this manslaughter thing won't give you murder. It's a black dude. It's a black man. And when it's all said and done, the only time it's really murder is when it's a black against a black or a black kills a white. But any other time it's, listen, uh, one less I got to worry about. And so, you know, it takes us to the Serena Williams incident. And you have had 
white males come to her aid. And they've said, I've said worse. I've done worse. Now, here's what got me. And I have to agree with Stephen A. Smith. And I have to agree with uh, Dr. Boyce Watkins. This had nothing to do with sexism. This had something to do with racism. Because when it's all said and done, it's you're the most powerful tennis player there is. You're the greatest. You're one of your, you're the greatest female athlete there ever was. No one's denying that. You can't. There's too much evidence. But when it's all said and done, I can argue angry black woman. I can. There have been female tennis players who have done things. Do I think that there is sexism in tennis? Yes, I think there is sexism in a lot of stuff. But when I look at Serena Williams and I take into account the history of her career and places where she's been, where people have called her a monkey. Okay, where they told her father back in the day we would have stripped we we would skinned you alive. Only for you to think it's female. No, you're in a white game. You're playing tennis. You're going to Wimbledon. You're going to the French Open. You're going to all these places, you know, Roland Garros and all those types of place places where black people don't go. There wasn't a lot of black people attending Wimbledon. That's just the truth. And all of a sudden you look and we in the crowd and we we chewing popcorn loud and eating and where the nachos at? They like, we don't serve nachos here. Tea and crumpets. <laughs> we like, what is this cracker? <laughs> so we in there snacking and talking loud and talking trash to people, and they're like, this is, they ruining the game. <laughs> so we gotta talk about her. We gotta get rid of this woman. I ain't never seen people ask for buttered popcorn at a tennis match. <laughs> okay? That's just not how it gets down. And they're drinking the champagne and shaking the bottle up after she wins and spewing the champagne everywhere. No one wants that. We like it. I'm just saying. But let's think about this. Because I want to address the race card. And I want to address it thoroughly. So when you look at Serena, does it, dis- does it diminish her speaking on race when the people who challenge her are white men and she's married to one? Is it fair? How is it a challenge to say, I'm going to fight on the behalf of the people, yet my closest love matches my closest hate? And so when I look at her, it seems complex to me. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it seems very complex to me when I can look. And all of a sudden, how do I take that home? How do I take that home and say, you know what, sweetie? And I'm married, say, say I'm married to a white woman. And I take that home and I say, you know what, sweetie? They was really tripping on me today because, you know, whatever. And I know it's unfair and I know it has everything to do with me being black. But how do I take that home? How do I take that home and get great advice? How do I take that home and not get in an argument? When all of a sudden I'm like, you don't understand me. You don't understand it. As much as her husband may want to be there and comfort her and blah, blah, blah. And then the other side of that, and I have to be real on this, people, you may not like it. How many black people has he discriminated against? It's innate. It's part of it. It's part of coming up. It's white privilege. How can you deny it? 
How do you marry someone? Let's just ask this question because I want us to dive into white privilege and the race card. So say I say you're a black female, you marry a white man, right? Do you bring your fight, your plight into your marriage? Do you ask him if he is in a hiring capacity? How many black people are you hiring? But here's the other part. Do you ask him that before you ever marry him? Because if you know that I work in an all-white company, every day I deal with white people, I don't ever deal with black people, I like black women, because y'all got it going on and I've heard great stories. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're marrying this guy who has been just as negative towards your people as any other Caucasian person. I'm not saying that all have done this. I'm just asking these questions because I am trying to bring these two things together to help us understand that there's a, there's a lot going on between playing the race card and white privilege. Because if I'm looking, some people, they'd ask those questions. But I would beg to differ that most would. Because I don't think, and I've always said this, typically, black people's houses are wide open. You can, black people's lineage is wide open. You can walk in the door as a white male or white woman, and you could get all the way through in a black household. White households are a little different. Because by the time you get past the parents, if you get to the next generation, you might find out that you're black. Because they're going to say, who is that little picking pulling up? Oh, your hair is just so nappy. And, and, and I'm just saying, it is very, very difficult to get to an 80-year-old white person, 70-year-old white male. As a black man, especially. Now, the, they, there is a history of them dealing with our women. The, you know, the hips, lips, and breasts. It's a history of that. But it's us that once we get inside that door, and if granddaddy's there, he might not eat. He'd be like, I'll be a monkey's uncle before I let this Negro eat my turkey. On Thanksgiving. <laughs> we killed Negroes on Thanksgiving. That's, that's who we hunted. But I'm just saying that we got to look at this thing from a whole different perspective. So I want to I wanna address, uh, we're going to play this really quick clip before we go to a break. And it's, it's called What Discrimination Looks Like in America. And these are some of the questions that I want to ask as it relates to white pri privilege and the race card. Because... There is a discrimination that goes on every single day in America. There's too many numbers that prove it. You, and for those of you who live in a city like Indianapolis, it's quite obvious that there is some discrimination going on. Some people might not want to address it, but the truth sits. Let's just be real. So let's listen to this clip. What discrimination looks like in America? Let's listen up. You've probably heard a lot about systemic discrimination in America. 
It's the idea that if you're not white, the deck is somehow stacked against you. And that is true. Government studies and academic research show over and over again that to be black in America is to face bias. What you might not realize is just how constant, varied, and idiosyncratic that bias can be. So using all these studies, let's try to paint a picture of a life that millions of black Americans live. If you're black in America, you run into bias at a pretty young age. If you walk to school in the morning, you might have to wait longer to cross the street. Drivers stop less frequently for black pedestrians than for white. If you misbehave in school, you might be punished more harshly than your white classmates, even if you broke the same rule. And when you apply to colleges, your disciplinary record might make it harder to get in. If you're black in America and you're looking for a job, you might have to look harder. Job applicants with black-sounding names receive fewer callbacks than those with white-sounding names. And if you get the job, keep in mind that you'll be working just as hard as your white colleagues, but might make 30% less than them. If you're black in America and you want to buy a house, your agent might show you fewer properties than his white clients. And if you manage to find your dream home, you might have a harder time getting a bank loan. If you're black in America, you might get pulled over by the police more than your white friends. If that happens, police are more likely to search your car, and they're more likely to use force against you if there's a misunderstanding. If you're arrested and convicted of a crime, your sentence might be harsher too. If you're black in America and you get sick, you might have to tough it out. Doctors prescribe pain relievers to black patients less frequently than to white patients, and sometimes life-saving heart medication too. If you're black in America and you're getting older, make sure to plan ahead. You might have a harder time getting into a nursing home than your white friends or family. And finally, if you're black in America and you're tired of this bias and you want to use your vote to change the system, it won't be easy. When you try to learn about where or how to vote, local officials might not even return your call. Now, there are some caveats. First, Hispanics, Asians, and other minorities face a lot of these situations, too. And second, this story is based on studies and surveys, so not all of these situations are true for every place in America at every time. But it does paint a pretty consistent picture. If you're white, it's a picture that might shock you. If you're not, you might have faced a lot of this already. And so, you know, I know a lot of people will have always attempted to dispel, you know, these types of things and act like, you know, Greg Merriweather's just talking crazy. And I love the fact that that was a white guy doing that. I mean, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Because it's like there are tons of tons of discriminatory things happening every single day in multiple places. And when people like Sister Candace Owens say, playing the black card is ridiculous. You ain't got to play that card. And it's like, then what? And I love the fact that at the beginning of that clip, he said the stack. And if you've never seen the video, it, it shows the cards. He says the cards are stacked up against you. And so that means I need to add a card to the, de- to the, to the, to the stack when things get dealt out. Because I have to, at some point, when I am doing and this again, let me, let me say this. This is not me playing the race card when I'm not doing anything to better myself on my own merit. This is when my merit has proven itself. 
When I am going out, I am getting up, I am working hard, I am studying, I have read, I have went to school. I'm not in trouble. And all of a sudden, the door is locked, the window is closed, the bus don't work, and no gas in the tank. All these reasons to say why I am not qualified to be what is deemed American success or successful. And let me just say this, as it relates to, the, to, the, to, to discrimination. What has happened in this world is that they've gathered a group of black people who don't like black people to say this is not an this is not black excellence black excellence now has been morphed into what's good for them as opposed to what's good for us black excellence says that you know what we can't we can no longer deny articulate well-spoken driven ambitious such and such black men and women because if you look in any other culture, if you start spewing off stuff in any other culture and you don't operate in brilliance and in excellence, you don't get the mic. You don't get to show up. You don't get the camera. You don't get to be in the forefront. You're not the representative of certain people. Only in our community do we put the, do we put the mediocre in the front. And what's so sad is you take, we'll take a group of people who've not done the work. And not only that, my ego will allow me to say I'm just as, even though I've not done anything to exude that level. But my ego will make me say I should be on that level, even though I didn't do blah, 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 blah. We do that. So in that case, no, you shouldn't be able to play the card because you didn't do what was necessary to even get in the game. And that's what disturbs me with us and the race card. You got a lot of people want to throw the card out, but it's, again, you didn't do nothing to get in the game. When you go to Vegas, when you go to a casino, and you sit down at the table and y'all about to play cards, they're like, listen, there's a minimum to get in the game. And when I look at our community, we got a lot of people who ain't paid the minimum to even get in the game. We got leaders who stand up and the English is as broken as, broken as, as Evil Knievel's leg after Evil Knievel's body after a bad jump. Who couldn't write a letter. Who, if they did write a letter, it would look like they wrote it in 1800. I just learned English type of writing. That's what we, we, we let that be in the front. So before I say you can all play the race car, let me tell you something. There are qualifications. There are levels. There are things you must do before you can stand up and say, this is why I'm doing this. And I'll be real, when I look at people, when I look at Serena, I'm not as sensitive. Because when I look and I say, you have a choice. 
See, it's something different about walking in a household and, 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 and you have a key. So, you know, I got an uncle. And he's married to a white woman. Right? And my uncle, well, he knows if I go to, to this place and they deny me, I'll send my wife. And it's a lot of brothers and sisters who may be married to someone Caucasian who knows that that's how it's done. So you have a key. Now, what happens when it's just black folk in the house? And they say, it don't matter who go. <laughs> Y'all got your wife here? <laughs> so there's a level of privilege that comes into your existence. And what's tripping me out is when we go deeper into this and you find it's a sister's like, why them brothers always running over there? And it's a sad shame that they look and they say, well, shoot, I can get some stuff. But that's maybe that's that's the selfish piece of it. But I think it's vice versa as well. Because all of a sudden you look and people want to boast about their lives and how they live in and how great it is and this, that and the other. And then you dig in the back and you say, oh. You pull that curtain back and it's, oh, <laughs> oh, I see what's going on. No wonder your credit's good. <laughs> it ain't because you, you done strived and came up. It's because you, you, you got somebody that's on, it got a key. Let's just be 100 on that. <laughs> Not knocking anybody. But anyway, man, we're going to take us a really quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about white privilege and the race car. And we're back with the Greg Merriweather show. So when I listen to that Macklemore and he speaks about a lot of things of how a white rapper, and he is a white rapper, how uh, the game was just handed to them, you know, and then he talks about how, you know, M, Iggy Azalea, all these rappers have changed their whole accent because it was, it was, you know, we look at certain things and we don't really think about what's being done because we never look to see who controls it. I put out a picture on Facebook a few days ago and it was just a big old picture of a white guy. And, and the first time I put it out, um, I wrote, I said, uh, at least you should know who you're giving your money to. And it got no nothing. Zero, nothing. And, and, and once I saw that it, it didn't get any, anything, no, no likes, no nothing, no nothing. I was like this, it, it saddened me. It really did. It saddened me because I was like, we don't, as many people as I know, it made me sad because it showed me just how out of touch the masses are. And so the next day I wrote, who is this? I got one response and it said, Phil Knight. Now here's what trips me out. Everybody knows the logo. Everybody is promoting the shoe. Everybody is talking about the movement. 
but nobody knew where the money went. And that just disturbs my spirit because it's like we, we do everything blindly. That's just where we are now. It is, it's, it's something, there's something to be said about a, about a group of people who are traveling without direction. Who are like, I'm going somewhere. I don't know if I'm going north, south, east, or west, but I'm going somewhere. And wherever I get, hey, and whatever happens in the midst of it all, hey. And I'm like, that's so ridiculous. Because there is too much history that speaks of direction, that speaks of the way to go, only for us to not know anything about what we do now. How is it? That you could go on your page, promote a shoe, say it's promoting a movement, say all this grandiose stuff about this company, but you don't know who gets the check. You couldn't point Phil Knight out in a lineup because Phil Knight has done such an excellent job of surrounding himself by black people and selling you the misconception construed notion that they actually own the stuff and he's worth 30 billion so i'm confused i'm i'm disturbed i mean all sorts of stuff but anyway um keep we're gonna keep moving with our subject so this was uh i want to play i got a couple more clips that i want to play this this clip is of Jane Elliott, and she said something. She said something, and this what what she says in this brings white privilege and the black card or the black the race card together. So let's listen to what's about being black. Jane Elliott, let's listen up. I want every white person in this room who would be happy to be treated as this society in general treats our citizens, our black citizens, if you as a white person would be happy to receive the same treatment that our black citizens do in this society, please stand. You didn't understand the directions. If you white folks want to be treated the way blacks are in this society, stand. Nobody's standing here. That says very plainly that you know what's happening you know you don't want it for you. I want to know why you're so willing to accept it or to allow it to happen for others. So when I listen to Jane Elliott, and I've seen that video, and she says, hey, who, wanted, who wants some of that? And the whole room is sitting there like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I don't want nothing that they got popping off. Nothing. They got some good food. They got some good food. And, you know, the, the man was like, they got some good women. <laughs> they got some good women. I'm going to tell you that now. I'm going to tell you that. But when you break it all down, no, they don't want that. They don't want that because they know, they know the truth. They know that there is a privilege attached. They know that there's a privilege and then that they know that there's discrimination in the confines of their privilege. You know, um, 
as we go through this 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 storm that has been taking place on on the east coast it is um it's sad because when i think about those storms and i think about places like charleston south carolina my i'm immediately hurt because i've been there to see the conditions of black people and it's 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 horrific and I've seen the conditions of whites in South in Charleston, South Carolina, and how they live off of old slave money and how rich they are. And the black people were like poor, like poor, poor, poor black folk. And in the midst of tragedy or God doing his work, I know the implications of our people. I know that many probably had to stay. I know that I know that many had to stay. And I know that even if, even if they left, let's say this, the likelihood of them coming back to be able to rebuild is dang near impossible because there's, there's, there's so much of a gap in the wealth. And I guess this is what I've been trying to say for the past couple of weeks is that we don't pay attention to the gap. We're not looking at this thing and saying, why would I continue giving you my money? Why don't I help build something that will help me? I've never understood why, how can I put this? It's like me being in a relay race. No, in a race. Let's just say I'm, I'm about to run a 100-yard dash. Okay? And my opponents get to start 20 yards ahead of me. Right? And it's like me saying, I know that the race is unfair. But... I want to don't just give them 20 yards, give them 80. Give them 80 and, and I'll see if I can win. That's what we do now. Now we say, give them, give them more space, yeah, give them more space and maybe, maybe we can catch up. I don't know. Let's try that. Because we are the most giving nothing having this people I've ever seen. May I say that again? We are the most giving, nothing havingest people I've ever seen. Because let's go backward. First black president. You know what we said? He can't just be our president. He needs to be president for everybody. I'm looking around and said, so you got a chance. There was 43 other ones. None of them was for you. You got a shot right now. What you want to do with it? He don't need to be president for us. He need to be president for everybody. Really? And now that time has come and gone. And we like, Trump is terrible. He just, 
Well, you didn't have that 44 times. <laughs> it's like we would just wait, wait, put us back where we where we belong. Give us a horrible president. Somebody call us the N-word. All right, now we got something to talk about. What did you do for the past eight years? <laughs> I'm just trying to understand. <laughs> so it's confusing to me. But I just want us to understand that you playing the race card again, you can't keep going and saying, I want to play it this day because I don't feel like doing nothing. We can't. Honestly, people are going to be mad at me. Playing the race card right now makes me mad about politics. It just does. Because now we want to claim racism. We want to talk about racism. We got a racist president. Oh, really? How many did you have that you didn't think was a racist? One? And when you had that, you didn't want you didn't you didn't want nothing. I just want to look at you. He's like some 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 just nasty uncles and aunts. I just want to look at you. It's like, what is wrong with us? Instead of saying, all right, now this this is listen, you got a crack, got a window, you got a crack in the door. I can see the path. Mass asleep. Let us move now. <laughs> we fell asleep for eight years. I just want to look at you. <laughs> you had one president and, and did not make a move. One president and didn't make a move. And still happy to see him. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> As I yell from the top floor of my project. Woohoo! That's my president. <laughs> He's like, yeah. <laughs> Show enough. <laughs> anyway, I'm confused. So Jane Elliott is telling us that really um, there's a lot of privilege. There's a lot of privilege in employment. There's a lot of privilege in everyday life. There's a there's definitely a lot of privilege in money. When we think about land, we were not given or we did not get the land that, you know, Candace Owens' grandfather was able to solidify. Um, you know, what I have found is that, you know, I've been told over and over, if you want to get some money, you're going to have to attach yourself to the people and not us. Unfortunately, we ain't got no money. And it's and it's sad. Let's be real. It's sad that that, you know, the, the, the leader of the new movement knew that. He's like, listen, I, I can't be y'all. I, you know, I, I ain't used to being broke. <laughs> so when, so when we look at this Nike movement, Colin Kaepernick even knew. Listen, I'm about to go get on the other side, uh, make sure I'm rich, and then we'll talk about the rest. <laughs> so I just think that there's a strong pull for privilege, and I think that we have become people who want that but are afraid to fight for it at this stage of the game. And Baldwin said it best. He said, basically, to be black in this country and remotely woke, basically, is to be in a rage daily. But when I look and I don't see the rage, I don't see rage until somebody shoots us. And when I mean somebody, I mean the police or somebody white. I don't see rage when it comes down to employment in general. I'm not talking about Colin Kaepernick employment. I'm talking about black men being employed. Black men are not getting jobs, people. 
Most people can't even afford an apartment in this country. On general income, the average salary in this country is $30,000. The average salary in this country is $30,000. So there's some work to do. And when you think about if the average salary in this country is $30,000 and the average education is probably close to $100,000, somebody need to stop. Somebody need to reevaluate going to school because when it's all said and done, you back hustling. Because all you looking at is, got to count the toes and fingers and be like, I don't think that add up. I don't think that adds up. Uh, I make $30,000. I got $100,000 in student loans. Well, I guess I, guess I live in the projects with my, with my, I guess I live in the projects with my PhD. Right. That's exactly what's happening. We got so many people out here boasting and bragging about the level of education you got and ain't got nothing to show the level of education that you done paid for. That's just the truth. And then what makes it so sad is the education that you're getting is so watered down that you ain't even educated. You know, like you get out there and they be like, you standing next to somebody that read a real book and they looking at you like, you the doctor? <laughs> and you're like, yes, hey, we, yeah, and teach us that. It's like, well, yeah, well. And they be like, run, I see the student loan people. <laughs> You standing on the court, run, it's too long, people. Get, get, get yourself, go. <laughs> you in debt. You in debt. You in debt, but you the genius. Help us, God. So anyway, I just want us to understand something. I want us to understand that playing the race card is definitely still in play. You cannot play the race card. Let me say this. You cannot play the race card if you are not doing what is necessary to get in the game ain't no soft ain't no ain't no dancing around it there's no i'm i'm just i ain't doing nothing and y'all treat me bad because i'm black or when i see brothers saying i would have liked to do that job but did you apply no then you don't want to do the job let's just keep that 100 stop get get offline talking about that I don't want to see it, because if you ain't doing nothing to set setting yourself up, if you don't want to set yourself up, then at that point it's like, psh, that's on you. That's on you. So that's where I stand on that. And then on the other side, let's be real. We have to be honest about white privilege. We're seeing it. We if we if we have not seen it enough with just what's happening with law enforcement. I don't know what else you need to see. I don't because eventually you're going to look like the criminal, even if you're not the criminal, even if you're not driving, even if you're not out partying, if you're not drinking, if you're not selling dope, you're going to look like the criminal because this case has shown that even in the confines of your home, if they come in and do something to you, they will figure out, how to make you a criminal and make that person the victim all because of your skin. That's real. So anyway, 
Y'all know what time it is. It's it's that time for us to do that thing that we do so well here at the Greg Mary with the show. And that is the OJ of the day. Let's get it popping. Yes, it is now time for the OJ of the day. Now, the OJ of the day goes to someone who does a, something that is not good for the people. Today's OJs. Oh, man. In the time of tragedy, there always is a criminal. Oh, help us. Listen, if it is, if there's water, 10 feet. If there's water two inches from your mouth, three inches from your ears and your eyes, this is not the time to steal. Let me tell you something, people. If you are attempting to have a come up in a hurricane, you do not need to be a thief. Thieves don't steal when they cannot swim. Thieves have to run. Thieves have to walk. Thieves have to jump. Thieves don't swim. Let me tell you why. If you decide to get in the water with a 70-inch TV, first of all, you're going to have to unplug the TV. Third of all, the TV's not going to work. Eventually, the TV is going to end up being your raft, and you're going to have to be on TV with a raft that's really a 70-inch TV. You're going to jail. You're going to jail as soon as the water subsides. You're going to be in jail looking like a fool because you thought we're going to stay during the hurricane and we're going to rob everybody and we ain't got nowhere to put the stuff because our house is flooded too. OJ, stop it. Get out of town. Go save yourself. You're not going to be able to take the stuff with you. Them soggy Nikes ain't going to get you nowhere. Take yourself Go on out of town. Go to Georgia. Go somewhere. Go somewhere where it's hot. Rob them people. Then come back when the water go down. <laughs> I'm just saying. Stop trying to be a water time thief. Ain't no way. So this goes out to all the thieves and looters who are trying to loot during the hurricane. Shame. Shame, shame. So I'm going to tell y'all. Today, all my Aquaman type thieves, y'all, are the OJs of the day. <laughs> and that was our OJ of the day. Man, uh, shout out to all the people who are on the East Coast, man. I, I pray for their safety and their uh, their well-being. Hopefully, the, you know, it's not bad as bad as Katrina. Uh, but I just want to uh, send my love that way because it's, it's, uh, it's tragedy is tough. Tragedy is tough. And when you live in the Midwest, you really don't... Um, get to experience those types of things and it, it makes you leery about moving anywhere else when you live in the Midwest because you think about the south, the southern border, you think about fires in California, think about water on the east coast. Just a lot going on. I mean, the worst come to worst, you know, in the Midwest you got to think about gunshots. 
Okay, I don't want to think about that either. So anyway, man, this is uh, always a good thing to do. I always have a great time here at the Greg Merriweather Show. Make sure you download the Black on Black app to your phone. Great music, great content on a regular basis, 24 hours, seven days a week. Uh, we still, listen, I know, you know, we may still get some glitches here and there with the app. We're working on that too. You know, work on it. Work with us. Work with us. You know, we're trying to build. We ain't, ain't no excuses. Trying to build. So just work with us as we continue to uh, get things together with the app. But also, man, check out the website, blackonblack.network, www.blackonblack.network. And you listen there as well. Um, as we continue to do our thing. So be looking for the shows. The shows will be, my shows will be on uh, iTunes. So you can look up Greg Mary with a show on iTunes. And you can also uh, look up the shows on the app. So be looking for it, man. See me on next week. And uh, we're going to keep it moving. But remember, no matter what we do, everything we need to do, man, we need to do to honor God. And without him in our lives, none of the things that we do matter. So make sure you get him because he is a keeper. It's been your man, Greg Merriweather. Have a great weekend. Peace.